0: Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. We drill deep into a few things each week here on Drilling Deep. We drill deep into the market for oil, which in turn exists only because somebody drilled for it, which is why we call our show Drilling Deep. And we drill deep into an issue of the week with our guest. This week's guest is Andrew McKay. He's the vice president of product at Loadstop. They're a supplier of transportation management systems. And what's notable about our discussion is that we focus on part of California's AB5 independent contractor law that hasn't been talked about much. That is, what do you have to do with your TMS to get it ready for AB5? It was something I never considered until they reached out to me and wanted us to talk about it on Drilling Deep. That's among the many questions that need to be answered as the state's truckers hustle to get in compliance with this law. Let's talk about oil. At least kind of a side issue. Back in June, if you remember... The benchmark diesel, product, diesel price produced weekly by the Energy Information Administration failed to come out for several weeks. The EIA blamed it on some technology glitches that were ongoing, but they said they were still able to gather data and produce the weekly number internally that is the basis for most of those fuel surcharges. They just couldn't distribute it to the world. Right about the same time, the EIA also announced that they were changing their methodology on how they calculated that number. When I worked for the group that at the time was known as Platts, if we changed the methodology for assessing oil or really any kind of energy commodity or metals or agriculture, we announced it well in advance and we took comments. We often had public forums at which people could express their views. There was no question about that process ever being a black box that nobody knew what went on in it. But even when they changed it, the EIA didn't say what they had done. I wrote the public information officer at the time, at the EIA a few times, actually. I asked some questions, I gave it to them, and it took several weeks for them to get back to me. Actually, it was more like several months, but eventually they did. And here's what I can tell you. The number of outlets surveyed for the diesel number has been increased. It had been a little over 400, and now it's closer to 600. It's always better to have more information than less, so it's hard to argue with that. The other big change, according to the EIA, involves volume weighting. Chris Higginbotham is the DOE official who reached out to me and answered my questions. And he said that in the past, the weighting was done on the basis of data from another unspecified arm of the DOE or the Federal Highway Administration. You need to weight the data so that some small station selling a relatively small amount of diesel, that might be a fraction of what some big station might do doesn't carry outsized weight in the calculation. Higginbotham said the new system would weight things closer to the actual volume provided by the station rather than some third party. Again, that would appear to be a positive. So what's the impact of all of this? It's hard to know because it's hard to know what to compare it to. At Freightways, we do have a retail diesel price series and sonar called DTS. DOT. It's DTS.USA for the whole country, DTS.HOU for Houston, and so on. And there's not enough really to draw there. To, there's not enough really there to draw any conclusions. In the beginning, I looked at it and it looked like the new methodology uh, at the DOE might was lagging a little bit where, uh, under the old methodology, but then it shifted to, to looking the other way, like it was actually keeping up with prices. So without a lot of underlying data to make that comparison, it might be sort of a futile gesture. Besides, what matters to people who use the number in the surcharge are really two things. First, that they're in the same competitive position as everybody else, so that really hasn't changed. And the second is that if the retail price is dropping faster than the basis for the surcharge, they're in pretty good shape. There's always this idea that an old methodology is right and a new methodology, if it shows a significant difference, is wrong. Understandable because people get used to the old way and now suddenly they are faced with change. Even if somebody could do a really thorough analysis to say the new methodology at the EIA that has has the that had the price r- regularly higher or lower than what it might have been, and then compares it to something like retail price data from the AAA or someplace like GasBuddy, it does look like the new system is going to be better just because it's got a broader base. I don't have that data to compare it to some other retail numbers, so I'm sorry, but I just can't do it. But it's still good to remember that more data is better than less data, and the EIA has said that. And better data is better than worse data, and they've got that, too, if they're using volume numbers for their weighting taken directly from the higher number of stations they are now surveying. So we'll chalk this up as a positive. So we're going to move on now, as we always do here at this point in Drilling Deep. AB5 has effectively been the law of the land in California trucking since the end of June, Technically, the date is a little later, but, but that's when, at the end of June, the Supreme Court decided on the final day of that month that it was not going to hear an appeal by the California Trucking Association of an appellate court decision to end the injunction that was keeping AB5 at bay in the state. So, of course, the speculation and the debate began about how companies would comply with the rule on independent contractors. We hosted an edition of Drilling Deep just a few weeks ago on one aspect of the subject. Last week, I received an email from a company called LoadStop and its transportation management system and how that TMS could help a company comply with AB5. That really intrigued me. I've been covering AB5 now for really three years. What does a TMS have to do with whether a driver is an employee or an independent contractor, which is really what AB5 is all about as it pertains to trucking? So with me today to discuss that is Andrew McKay. He is the VP of Product for LoadStop, and he's here to talk about it. Andrew, welcome to Drilling Deep.
1: Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Look forward to it.
0: Why don't you talk a little bit about the company first and your role in it? You've you've joined fairly recently, I believe.
1: Correct. Yeah. So, um, so LoadStop we're headquartered out of uh, Southern California, Irvine. Um, as you alluded to, I just joined in um, April of this year. I actually come from more of an operating background myself. Um, we're still a fairly young company. They've been around for about four years. Um, We have three uh, engaged founders, um, some varying backgrounds, mostly technology. Um, As I said, I kind of come from more of the tactical or operational side of the business. Um, You know, we've um, we've been working on scaling our product. We've we have um, essentially two product lines. We started as a a carrier based TMS where where folks run more of an asset management operation without our without our platform. Um, but we also have adopted this year more of a, a brokerage. So what I would say is we're, we've been a little bit more unique to the marketplace where we we started as a carrier-based TMS and we're growing into a brokerage. A lot of folks out there, you, there's so many broker TMSs out there, nothing wrong with that, but um, we we kind of took a different path. Um, and quite frankly, it's one thing that really intrigued me. Um, as I mentioned, I spent years as an operator. Um, I was looking for uh, something maybe more on the software side, and these guys had kind of come up. We were actually working together as part of my previous role, and um, they had a lot of neat things going on, and just their perspective on the marketplace was great.
0: All right, we're going to come back a little more to to your company and what it does, but let's let's talk about AB5. So, as I said, I, when I when I heard from your your colleague, I thought, okay, well, what does AB5 and a TMS have to do with each other? So, how did what did you identify as the opportunity here, and how long ago did you identify it? And this is, this saga has been going on really for three years, if really uh, three years if you argue it from when AB5 was signed. And then of course the injunction went into place keeping it out on New Year's Eve uh, 2019. Uh, and now it's, it's back. So when did you identify the opportunity and what did you see as the opportunity?
1: You know, uh, for us being a California-based company, it started with all of our customers just asking what are we going to do? And, and I think your first question about what does a TMS have to do with it? What if we kind of think of the context of what a TMS does, really, you're it's where your operating business sits. It's my business structure sits inside of this TMS and I have to execute shipments all over the country, North America, what have you. So we become very ingrained into that. So we had um I would probably say, right, 90 plus percent of our California based customers were asking us, hey. Will you have a solution? How is this going to work? As early as you mentioned that, you know, early 2020, we started getting a lot of traffic. Um, and then naturally, much more so this summer where we've been, I'd probably say my role specifically, probably 30% of my time is working through this. Um, just because we do have a very large base of, of California customers that that were faced with this challenge. And quite frankly, John, a lot of them just kind of said, wow, what do we do? They're almost asking the same question. What does my TMS have to do with it? How do I apply my TMS into this new arena? And, and then as I'm sure we'll get into, what, what does that even mean for me? I, I think a lot of folks are still trying to figure that out.
0: I, I can't ask any better questions than you just posed right there. So why don't you answer the questions <laughs> that you just raised? What does it do and how sure. does it fit into a TMS?
1: Sure. So uh, you know, I, I think the First thing that we've done this year, we're, we're a TMS provider. The number one thing that we always told folks when they came to us is, "Look, I can't solve all of your organizational structure challenges. What I have to do is I have to apply something to what you give to me, and I can educate you on how to do that." But but we've kind of had to to set that boundary, and I, I think all TMSs have too. That look, you do need to do some research on your side as far as how you build out your organization, and then when it, it comes back to how do I, me, a TMS provider, get involved in that? The biggest thing I think of is really more of a configurable and flexible solution. And what I mean by that is it, there's a lot of um, context that goes into this. You know, there's different ways that people view how they want their business to run. Some are very small, 10 truck fleets, 50 truck fleets, all the way up to larger size that have a whole bunch of independent owner operators that work for them. So you have to have somewhat of a flexible solution. And as I said, the, the first thing we did is we just stopped and listened. I, I know that sounds a little bit goofy. It's like, hey, no, I need a solution. No, I need to understand what where this is going to lead before I can apply my my TMS to it. So I, I think once we understand that, though, and we, we kind of grasp that now, I, I still think there's some rulings yet to be seen and things that'll happen. But where we stand today, we have a decent, broad understanding of what that needs to be. And we feel like our, our role is to provide a little bit of a flexible solution. Now, can we cover every single base that everybody asks us? We get people thinking of certain ways to maybe, quote unquote, get around something. At the end of the day, we're, we're all going to land in a kind of a narrow area. But right now, we're just trying to stay flexible. We're trying to build solutions that, that aren't hard and fast. And I, I know that may sound a little bit odd, but But what it does is it allows some interpretation on the corporate side of these trucking companies to say, here's how I need to structure my business. And and what I don't want to be as a TMS provider is somebody that's too much of a restraint. And and I, I think historically, the software side of the business has been a little bit of a restraint because we're not always the most flexible folks. We just kind of put our heads down. We develop, we do things. But especially in this AB5, we need to step back because it could go a few different ways. And I... I, I think we might have a majority you know area that we fall for a b five and how people operate, but it's not going to be a hundred percent of them we already have customers who have different opinions and they're sticking to those opinions right now until something changes and and it is a little bit different on how they're operating so so we have to come in with an open mind and be able to apply our technology and and maybe one way that you can think of that is First, you have to take in the context of what they're telling you. And then our role sometimes is literally to take what may have already been in existence at our business called something completely different, like the thought of how reimbursements work for a driver settlement. We're just repurposing things, creating some new modules and applying it with a little bit different perspective. So we we can't overthink it, but yet we need to to think critically and, and apply ourselves with what's already available.
0: Is it safe to say that the people who are coming to you are seeking to continue their drivers as independent contractors? Because if they were just going to make them employees, that's the simplest solution to AB5, just turn them into employees. Of course, it's not simple because these drivers, theoretically, a lot of them don't want to become employees. Um, that's 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 one of the other arguments. So what are the kind of – what's the kind of, can you be a little more specific on the functionality? I mean, you said it yourself that we don't have a, case, a body of case law on what the state is going to see as acceptable and not acceptable under AB5. That makes it very difficult. You know, two people can come to a a situation and one person says, I think under AB5 you can do this. And another very well-informed person says, no, I don't think you can. So that makes it a real challenge for you. Can Is it too early for you to give a specific on what one of your solutions might look like?
1: Uh, No, no, I think we can talk through one. Um, So probably the most widely thought about is... A, a transition into a brokerage arm um, in and I, it, I believe it's valid and, and we're seeing I'd probably say much better than majority is, is kind of trending in that way based off the feedback we're receiving and how we're helping educate folks out there but w- what I would say is that number one let's think about the context of what these trucking operators have done for the last however many years they've been around they are not brokers what they are, asset managers, trucking operations companies, that's a very different software toolkit than a broker software toolkit. So the, the first thing that, that we would try to educate on is, look, if that's the path you're going, you have to understand the context of that. And that's a different set of software. So I, I think when we think of what changes for the industry, how do they learn to adapt to that? That's where we've, we've tried to come alongside. And I, you know, we have a, a cloud-based structure. We we are not hardware based. Um, so it's a little bit easier to maybe connect those dots between uh you know, a fully visible set of assets and a fully visible set of brokered loads that can kind of cross-communicate between the the single company, if you will, even though they're operating independently. So so that's kind of one area where you know we have a synchronized system between an asset. And a broker. So it, in a lot of ways, we got a little bit lucky on this, it, candidly, because that was our vision before we ever even thought of AB5, is that we really wanted to bring together on behalf of a trucking organization, not only the assets, but how do they grow their business. And a lot of the asset-based folks out there grow their business through the brokerage. So we naturally had both living in the same ecosystem, whereas some other TMSs don't necessarily have that. So there's Right now, what's going on is a little bit of evaluation, like, do, do I even have the capabilities to do this quote-unquote brokerage? It's easy to say, I'm just going to move to a brokerage, and I'm going to tender all this freight to all these owner-operators. <laughs> There's a whole process and a system that has to be evaluated. So so that that's one way that we've kind of stuck in there and said, hey, this is how we actually developed our system, oddly enough, and you can take these two operating parts, mix them in, and now... It, kind of works um, to separate your assets from your brokerage.
0: So these would be, I mean, a larger a larger carrier almost always has its own brokerage arm already, but a sure. smaller carrier with maybe 10, 15, 20 vehicles, they might not. So you really have 100%. to introduce, I mean, they, they've got to get introduced to the world of brokerage, period, but you're, you're introducing them to the world of, bro- of brokerage within a TMS system. Is that is that a correct uh, analysis of what you just said?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's spot on. You know, we've had many clients who have said, look, we, we want to go down this path uh, of a brokerage. (laughs) And there's been some trial and error. Like, how many, um, different operating entities do I need? You know, do I need one for every driver who has a separate lease that I need to separate? And then we'll broker him loads. There's, there's a lot of activity that happens in between. But when you, draw it down to the most simplest, yeah, there's a lot of small and mid-sized fleets who have really never done true brokerage, even though it's similar. I mean, they're out there procuring freight, passing freight off to, you know, their owner operators under their own managed authority, but it's adding a whole nother element to it where, yes, you, you have to learn brokerage and what it means to, to broker freight. Um, a, a, an interesting example, one of the things that, you know, we've been educating a lot on, we naturally with driver settlements, we do a ton of deductions. Um, that is something that's really being challenged because you you can't really do a straight load level um, deduction anymore. Things like fuel, all these different things that are coming up that people are realizing, wow, yeah, when I move to a brokerage, I really have to operate differently. I'm going to have to think about my margin differently than maybe I did prior. So there's a a lot of education going on with it, um, along with how do I make sure what I'm hearing I can actually apply to a, a TMS system I have? And that, that's kind of where we come in, you know, like I said earlier to take a, a set of boundaries and say, okay, now, now that you understand how you're going to operate, let me explain to you how a system works and what, what you can do with that. Um, but it, it's a, it's been a process, a, a lot of open-ended discussions. Um, you don't always come to conclusive results right away. Um, but, but where we're at now, Definitely seeing a lot of kind of merging into this thought of, of being a broker. But but um, maybe to, to kind of guide us into the next part, when we do that, there's also this whole element of well, what do we do with operating authorities? You know, now you're getting into the realm of that independent operator used to work on behalf of a managed authority. Now they're going, well, I, you know, rightfully so. I, I don't really want to be employed. I like the status I, I've had. So I don't want to change that, but then you introduce this whole idea of, of compliance rigor that comes into it that, that they're likely going to have some additional spend that it goes towards. So we're, we're seeing a lot of that very specifically play out right now. I think the first phase was just, what the heck do I do with my business structure? Now that some of that is being discussed, it's it's becoming more to that, that end guy, the actual owner-operator. Well, what do I need to do with this now that the organization I've been working with has, is steering towards a certain path?
0: Yeah, $20,000 usually at least to get your own authority. So it's a significant cost. Let's talk about the other solution that's out there, the two-check solution. You kind of reiterated what we continue to hear, that that is kind of the second most preferred uh, solution where a driver leases his truck to the carrier and is employed by a third party like a company like Transforce. They have been the uh, the real force, no, no pun intended, the force behind this. Uh, and Lisa Mitchell of Transforce was a guest on Drilling Deep not all that long ago. Uh, are you seeing much of that? And are you offering a, a solution to it in your CMS?
1: Yeah, so that's um, it's definitely one of part of the umbrella of flexibility that I refer to it as. Um, we we always try to take the approach of look. It's not going to always be one solution fits all. But, yeah, the majority, while they may be going towards brokers, we do have numerous clients who have gone down the path of, of not not exactly like maybe Transforce has, has done it, but they're doing it more internally. And what that means is, you know, standing up leasing arms. You know, how do I have like a, we would call them a tenant inside of our TMS system. How do I have a leasing arm and, and a brokerage and a trucking company? So w- what we're doing is kind of creating all these layers. And one of the uh, unique things that we've tried to do, So much of it is financial based settlements. How how do I get money from point A to point B? How do I manage this money? How do I ensure that the right amounts are being deducted and all that? So we we built a tool. It's called Companion Pay. Basically, any source, if you have a leasing arm, can pay another source or be paid by a vendor or a source. So it's basically a, a configuration where you can pinpoint a leasing arm bypass a broker because the broker's only responsible, this goes back to our deduction that we were talking about. A broker really shouldn't be doing load level deductions, but if you stand up a leasing arm, a leasing arm can legitimately, you know, offer an asset and be paid in return for their assets. So there's, we're getting asked a lot of questions. How do you, how do you separate it? Um, and, and, and that's kind of what we done because we, we know at this point it, it they're going to have to be separated no matter how cute people are getting like as one entity that's what's trying to be broken down and and they're going to have to have separate entities so in short we we are seeing it um we've seen i think when we talk about that side of it 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 hasn't been as clear cut of a path um, but we do have have clients who are looking at business structures that actually have leasing arms now instead of just a brokerage we we've actually seen many that are doing all of the above John where it's hey I'm going to maintain a leasing arm I'm going to maintain a brokerage and I'm going to maintain an operating asset portion as well
0: how far along are companies I mean you, you look at the universe of California trucking companies I'm not you know they're not all your clients and so you're not in touch with all of them as potential clients but do you get any sense of I'm not going to ask you to put a hard percentage on it, but some kind of rough share of the market of companies that have made their decision. Yeah, we're going to go with this model. We're going to go with that model.
1: It it is tough to say at this point, but if I were to put a number out there, it'd be, I mean, candidly, we're 30, 40% of the way. I mean, I I think there, and I, I think part of that is because people are still concerned if they're making the right decision. So what, what we're seeing is, look, let's try to get down to some level of, you know, consistency here. What do we need to do? We know there's going to have to be some separation of assets, broker. The basics is what we've been focusing on. But with my perspective, again, if I take just outside of the TMS, you know, we're, maybe we're feeling a little more comfortable on the TMS side that we're past the 50 percent mark. But there's that whole other organizational structure side that drives all of it. So we may have to do a 180 in a year, and and apply ourselves differently. But if I were to look at the the big picture, I, I think most companies would probably tell you they're no more than halfway there for sure. There, there's still a lot out there to be solved.
0: Well, as as we as everybody has talked about, the fact is the the AB five legislation is not very pre- pre- prescriptive. It doesn't tell you exactly what you can and can't do. We obviously haven't had any regulatory actions by the state. Or uh, Paga suits, you know, private attorney general action suits that have created any kind of legal precedent. So you and everybody else are flying blind to a certain degree.
1: Yeah, it's um, that's kind of the reality. Um, I I think, as I said, the best thing you can do is try to take what is a little bit prescriptive in there and and apply it. Um, But I'm fully expecting, you know, we'll, we'll work through phases of this thing, naturally, where folks are going to come back to us and say, hey, you know how we set up that operating unit in there? I really can't do that anymore because I just got audited. These things happen. Yeah. Um, so fully expecting that we're, that we're going to have to adapt as we move forward. Um, but what we'll see.
0: I would say that for the lawyers or for freight waves or for load stop, AB5 is going to keep us all very busy for several years.
1: Yeah, it's safe to say, like I said, I, I would never have dreamed that. And I'm being honest, like 30% of my time, the last few months is spent in this because you normally in, in, in TMS, it's like five, 10% in nowhere. You should never be over that because there's, there's a lot yeah. of moving parts, um, within, within the technical side of the business, but, but it's, it's definitely garnered a, a lot of attention, probably more, maybe more so for us just because we've, this is where we started out in California, so we naturally had more clients um, out there that we were that are that are being faced with this uh, in their everyday lives. So, um, and, yeah, and we shall and, see.
0: And let's point out your area of responsibility is national. So you've got thirty percent of of the market, of thirty percent of the nation taking up. No, I shouldn't say that. A smaller percentage taking up 30% of your time. So we have to yeah, keep yeah. that perspective. So anyway, yeah, exactly. we want to thank Andrew McKay. He is the vice president of product at LoadStop for speaking with to us today on Drilling Deep and the interrelationship between TMS systems and AB5. Andrew,
1: thanks again. Thank you very much, John. Really appreciate it.
0: You've been watching Drilling Deep. We are part of FreightWaves TV. You can find us. Our weekly edition drops every Friday at 2.30, but we're on demand at all times. And if all you want to do is listen instead of seeing two great-looking guys like you got to see today, you can listen to us on all the major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera. I'm your host, John Kingston, and please join us again.